Welcome to this episode of the Connection Podcast. Today we talk with Dan and Jessica Walker of Springfield Second Ward. And this episode is all about families. We first talk about how Dan and Jessica met in the first place. And then we get into a topic that I think is near and dear to a lot of us. We discuss when their daughter came out as gay and how that impacted their family and, and taught them a very important lesson about learning to understand people and to love them. We talk about how God told them to get a dog. And lastly, we end discussing how they decided to adopt three children uh, who are living with them now and, and thriving really in the, in the new setting of the home and the revelation that went into them deciding to make that move. I think it is a great episode that everyone will enjoy. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Kiesa, the show's producer, and we have both Dan and Jessica Walker with us today from Springfield Second Ward. Welcome. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. And we have recurring guest host, John Sperry. Hello. Glad third, to be back. Third time's a charm. <laughs> right. right. Maybe we'll get it right this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we, there's a good chance. There's a good chance we will. You got some awesome guests here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we get to have both of you on, which is cool. We were just saying this is the first time we've done a couple together since the Corneliuses came. Awesome. So we're honored. We're excited about that. So I wanted to get us started off with the pick of the week today because we have um, some food items that I enjoy very much, John, in front of us. And <laughs> yeah. we're just, I found out the walkers are still fasting, so we're torturing them. Yeah. yeah. So mean. Very intentional. Very intentional. It's okay. Yeah. Premeditated. Right. Yeah. But uh, my pick of the week is Reese's Animal Crackers. These things are bomb. It's like everything that you love about a Reese's with a little bit more crunch texture to it. They're delicious. And they're blown up, man. So go get some. They're for sale at Costco, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, that is my pick of the week. What do you got, Jessica? Hey, um, we just, you know, Thanksgiving was just happened and we had some missionaries over and one of them shared a recipe with me that I've just been making and craving all the time. It's a, a, a cranberry relish. I never made anything like it before, but it's just crushed up cranberries and apples and oranges and celery and honey. And so that is my pick. I've actually just got all the stuff good. to make it wow. again, even though it's not a pretty holiday. Good. Like I could eat it out of the bowl. It's just so good. So as a relish, is it a condiment? Yeah. Like you could make it a condiment, but I just eat it with a spoon. Okay. That's how good it is. It's like in the food processors. So it's like, like a chopped fruit salad. Yeah. yeah it no, I really can see fine. that. Really fine, yeah. Just burst right. of flavor. Oh, nice. So I good. could see Camille getting into that. So. Yeah, that's so good. Now, what, what about you, Dan? <laughs> well, I'm going to get away from the food thing uh, just because of the season. My pick is It's a Wonderful Life. Just I've always loved that movie and the message that it brings and um, that we can have a huge effect on on people. And we don't recognize that often, but that's my pick. Cool. And is this a movie that the Walker family, like you'll gather and watch it together every Christmas or? We usually watch it a few times. We do. Yeah. Some of the kids don't like it at all. So they just yeah. go in the other room. Yeah. And it's really yeah. long. It's a yes, really it long yeah. 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 So, it is. yeah. Usually people are in and out throughout, but we yeah. both really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you have, do you watch the black and white one or the colorized? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the old black and white one. Oh. Have you ever seen the colorized version? Actually, I don't, I don't think, think I have. It kind of. Takes away from the experience, mm. I think. But yeah, I love that movie too. 
Uh, do you have any movies, John, that you guys watch every year? Uh, oh my gosh! So we, I tried to make a calendar, and Sarah got upset with me because she's like, "You can't! It's got to be natural." But we actually, what we do is before winter break, we try to watch all the hokey like Hallmark movies. <laughs> oh man, that's so good! <laughs> and uh, so, like, we watched like one of our favorites. <laughs> this is gonna sound so dumb. One of our favorites is called The Christmas Train, and it's got like Danny Glover's in it, and um. Oh, what's her face from Father of the Bride, the good girl, who, the woman who plays the daughter in Father of the Bride, and okay. uh, Dermot Mulroney's in it. So it's like some former A-list actors, but it's about it's about this whole thing. They're on a train and they're traveling from <laughs> the East Coast to Los Angeles, and it's a really That's cute cool. movie. That's like kind of our our new pre winter break tradition because once winter break hits, then it's Elf and Home Alone and yeah, oh, yeah. all the all the, cla- all the classics, all the yeah, yeah. Now oh. we gotta watch that yeah. Christmas yeah. train movie. But Sarah and I actually have a tradition that we've done this for probably f- at least fifteen years. Every Christmas Eve, we wrap all the kids' presents while we watch the Patrick Stewart Christmas Carol. And s- as when the kids were little, the presents would last longer than the movie. Yeah. But now it's it's just about perfect. We can watch the movie and wrap all the presents. Nice. So those are my two picks. Sorry, I took two. Yeah. No. 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 That That's that good. is totally fine. So those are your picks. Yep. Yeah. The Christmas Train. Christmas Go watch Train, it. man. That is a good one, man. See, I, I'm impressed. I'll have to check that out. It, yeah, we're we're pretty much like Nightmare Before Christmas family, I guess. So that's mm-hmm. okay. Pretty standard. All right. Well, let's let's get started, guys. So I think Jessica has volunteered to be the question and answer for the first <laughs> one. So we're gonna picture that you guys just moved into a new ward, and and Dan has nudged you and said that it's your turn to introduce your family. And go. Okay, so uh, we're Dan and Jessica Walker. Uh, we've lived in Springfield for 28 years. Um, we moved here when our oldest was just a tiny baby. We now have eight children, and uh, we have three that are grown, two married and one engaged, and five teenagers living at home. It's a oh, little wow. crazy at our house. We spend a lot of money on food. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll bet. And gas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we just we've been married 31 years and we love the gospel. We're happy to be here. Um Springfield has become where our family is not family that's related to us, but our family has become our ward members and our friends that we have loved and cherished while we've lived here in Springfield and we're just glad to be here. Cool. And current calling. So you you're serving in the bishopric Dan is I that am it? second counselor in the bishopric and second ward. And then what are you what are you doing now? I'm Jessica? the primary chorister. It's the best calling in the church, in my opinion. It's so much fun. I love it. So when you hear like a primary song, like can you do that without going through the motions at this point? Or is that just <laughs> going through the motions like yeah. motions I would teach the kids? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm always thinking about how could I teach this to the kids that would be engaging that help them remember it. Because when I teach music, I try to use a lot of motions. We're doing things with our body. We're using multiple senses because it engages the kids better. So yeah, I do always think that when I hear primary song, I'm always thinking, how what can I do to make this song more engaging to the kids? I think, John, we need to talk to them about their meat story, right? The what? The oh, meats, yeah. The, the meat. Yeah. The meat the cute meat story. Cute. Yeah. The meat cute that was Dana Jessica Walker. Because I was attracted to this one parenthetical <laughs> here that said, I've had a crush on him since I was 12. Uh-huh. True story. Yeah. And I'll let Jessica tell that one because she doesn't like the way I say it. So. 
<laughs> so uh, Dan and his dad were uh, actually, let me back up. My brother, my older brother and my dad were assigned to be Dan's family's home teachers nice. when we were in the same ward. And first we grew, both grew up in Southern Oregon, like mm-hmm. Central Point, Gold Hill area. So we both lived there. And so him and my older brother just hit it off and became good friends. And so he would hang out at our house all the time. Well, I was 12 and he was 18 and I just loved it when he came over because so I, handsome. Oh, he was so <laughs> handsome and funny and I just was starry-eyed for sure. I remember I used to like bake cookies when he came over and oh, anything man. I could. Jeez, to, like, coming over. <laughs> I totally did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. But I was really just an annoying little sister kind of to him at the time. So as... A little time went on and he left on his mission. I was 13. I remember writing him letters on his mission. While he was on his mission, my parents got divorced. A lot of things changed in my family. And so I I matured a lot in those two years that he was gone. I remember when he came home, I was so nervous to see him. So excited. I remember being in the bathroom, like doing my hair and hearing him come into the house. And I was like, my heart was fluttering. <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but... Anyway, he came, you know, came out and and uh, I was just like his little sister, right. really. He didn't have a crush on me for sure. But he told me later that when he saw me, he was like, wow, she's really changed, really grown up. So during that time that he was home, he was still hanging out with my brother a lot. And uh, it was just my brother and I living with my dad at the time. And they felt sorry for me. So the, they'd take me along with them sometimes when they do stuff. And I loved that. Oh, but um otherwise she'd be at home by herself. Right. Yeah. You can't have that. Yeah, I can't have that. Out the country and I would yeah. just get kind of scared at yeah. night in the dark. So then uh, you can share like how what happened over time for you. Well, it was kind of interesting because I was um getting to the point where I wanted to get married and move on in that direction with my my life and her brother and I were laying on my bed one Sunday afternoon just talking and I was describing the person who I wanted to have as a wife, the, the attributes and, and everything. And I was saying somebody that's strong in the gospel and has a good testimony and is funny and good with kids and outdoorsy. And I said, somebody like, somebody like, and he goes, like my sister. And I went, yeah, yeah, like your sister. So, so it's his fault. <laughs> okay. kind of, I'm wow. kind of slow. I'm kind that of slow. Was so big of him. Man. It was. That yeah. is not a typical brother move. Not at all. Yeah, it yeah. surprised me too because we weren't particularly yeah. like super close or anything. But, yeah. Um. So I was barely 16 at that time. So 16, 21. Yeah. Know, little 22 actually. 22, you were 22 yeah, by yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't realize, like, he slowly started to see me differently, but I was so naive. I just had no idea what was happening. But I noticed when we started, we were still doing stuff together all the time, my brother and his girlfriend, then he and I, and he would always sit next to me. Pretty soon he was putting his arm around me. And then one time we went to the movies and he's like, let's go sit over here. And he held my hand. And that's when I started to figure it out. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. Not when she was 16. Your dream was coming (laughs) true and you had no idea. (laughs) So um, pretty quickly after that, he um, joined the military and left. So wow, yeah. So yeah. I was, you know, we yeah. just—I guess you would say we dated. We just spent a lot of time together, yeah. but it was, yeah. yeah, hung out a lot together. And she would come to my house all the time because his I was hang out with, with my sister. sister and, and so then um, he served in the military and 
so that was, I was a junior in high school and he was gone, you know, for several years. He came home um, between my junior and senior year in the summer on leave. And that's when he proposed to me. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, we were about the same age. So. Right. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, that's It sounds true. weird, but emotionally, we were about the same age, literally, because she was the oldest girl in her family, and she was kind of the mini mom, and I was not emotionally mature at that time. <laughs> so just, it was actually- leave it at that. I can relate. <laughs> a brilliant relate. plan of Heavenly Father to like bring us together that way, because I still needed to finish high school and we both needed to grow up a little more. So he was in another country and we were writing. Back then they didn't have email and texting and cell phones because we're so old. But anyway, um, that summer when he proposed to me, I didn't say yes right away because I really wanted to pray and fast about it. From the experiences I had in my family, my parents had divorced and I really just wanted to make sure that it was the right person for me. I wanted to say yes, but I knew I needed to have an answer from God. So. Definitely emotionally mature. <laughs> See, I would have been yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He yeah. had bought me a ring in Germany and everything. And um, yeah. yeah, so after, right before he left, he was home for three weeks. And right before he left to go back to Germany, I finally got an answer and said yes. And then we didn't see each other for another year and three months. Mm-hmm. And that's so, when we that came home when we got married. Yeah, all so, snail mail between you it and was, us. Snail it was mail, all just yeah. mail. And he would call every few months. It was so expensive yeah. to call from, from Germany. So he would call every few months and we'd talk. And then and that would cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah. It was like $150 for a half hour, 45-minute conversation. Wow. Yeah. So we In mostly just wrote letters. Late 80s, early right, 90s yeah, dollars. Yeah. So, so when he got home... Um, we went to the temple right away to for me to um, receive my endowments. And then a week later, we were married, and we hadn't seen each other for like a year and wow. a mm-hmm. few months. And then we got stationed in Oklahoma, and off we went. Yeah. I was 18 years old, just yeah. barely graduated from high school. <laughs> and that um, was 31 years ago. Yeah. Pretty and crazy. she's stuck with me all this time. <laughs> Grateful for that. Well, it worked. I know. Well, I mean, you're still here. It's a great story of marrying up. I'll just, I'll just put it <laughs> oh down. Oh my gosh! I, know. I I do have to say, my young women leaders and my bishop, they were all just so freaked out, you know, that no, I was engaged at that young age to this older guy, and yeah, it was just pretty funny. But I, once I received that answer, I knew, I knew for sure that I was supposed to marry him, and and there were a lot of things I didn't know about him because he was so far away for so long. You know, but I just mm-hmm. trusted that it was right. And I remember my home teacher was especially not a fan of the idea. Right. And uh, he told me that I was making a big mistake. A lot of people were just really discouraging me from. So I had to really kind of stand firm in that decision. And most of the people have apologized to me since then and saying, mm-hmm. you know, we should have we should have trusted that you made yeah. the right choice. And her home teacher actually even apologized to me a yeah, few years after that. So. Yeah. That's great. It's great. So you don't rub it in. You're not like, no. I kept the receipts. <laughs> right? <on this car." laughs> exactly. We got the receipts. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's should our we, story. It's pretty crazy. Should we, what do you think, John? Should we talk with Jessica more about her life growing up or I guess? Um, yeah. Or like, I, <clears throat> I'm really interested in her current yeah. work. So like what she said, there are two things on here. She talked about what she's most proud of, becoming a life coach. And then... um 
something that's most interesting to her is she's fascinated about learning about people through hearing their stories, especially those who are different, specifically those in the LGBTQ community. So we talked a little bit earlier about how that's like your number one topic right now is especially related to the LGBTQ community. Do we want to jump into that now? Is yeah. it too early? Are we yeah, it's up to you. Deep end right now? I'm, a, I'm, I'm good with deep end, and then we can come back out for, for air <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing this up yeah. is I think this is – and there are, there are church podcasts. Actually, Dan, you've introduced me to at least one mm-hmm. um, related to this topic, and I think this is something that people in the church need to hear. We need to have this discussion as frequently as possible um, because this is the world we're living in, and these are children of God that we're talking about. So instead of letting that sort of temporal label define them, let's treat them like children of God and then address the issue. So I would love to hear everything you have to say about that and why why you're so interested (laughs) or the abbreviated version. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, where to start? Uh, I noticed, well, I've always been a very – black and white kind of person, I guess. I just naturally just been an obedient person that's wanted to follow the Lord and keep his commandments. And so I was pretty close-minded about the whole LGBT and unaware, I guess, would be a better way, just ignorant mm-hmm. about um, people in that community and the struggles they have. And I I speak about this with permission from my daughter, but um, I noticed our youngest biological daughter uh, was very different than our other girls. And um I think the Lord prepared me by just help. He just kind of always kind of put it in my mind. I always kind of knew that there was something very different about her. She was very mm-hmm. masculine. Um, she had no interest in anything that had anything to do with girly things or, yeah. you know, the way she dressed. She wanted her hair cut short and all those <laughs> things. And so as she grew up, um, I just had this feeling that something, it's like I knew, but I, I was scared of it. I didn't know what to do about it. And then the Lord started putting people in my life, like people that were gay or um, transgender and then that I had experiences with that I grew to love. Um, I know we'll talk later maybe about the life coaching, but when I was in life coach school, one of the people that I coached was gay. I coached this person for quite a while, like a year. And I, my heart just burst wide open. Like I gained an understanding about this person's experience who was a very loved the gospel, served a mission, was doing everything in their power to like become the person that they felt God needed them to be. And it just helped me gain such a love and understanding for these people. And it's about that very time that I felt prompted to go to my daughter and um, say, if this is what you're feeling, I just want you to know it's safe to talk about it, that I love you, I accept you. And so I did. And it was a very spirit-prompted conversation it was actually very one-sided. I just said all the things I felt like I needed to say, and she didn't respond until the next day. And she came to me and just really just shared, you know, what she was experiencing and um, was so grateful that she was able to finally talk about it. So it just kind of like launched me into this um, journey of wanting to help, wanting to learn more, wanting to understand, asking questions. I started reading a lot of books. Um, I started listening to a lot of podcasts. And um, just really hearing other people's stories and experiences. And it just really helped me to have this desire to help people that have that experience to feel loved, to recognize their value, to know there's a place for them. That I'm so grateful that the Lord sent Megan to me to be her mother because I knew her. Like I knew she wasn't (laughs) pretending. I knew that this is how she was created. I knew she was special. And it helped me just um, 
have that compassion as I looked at other people who were having this experience. And so the Lord's put a lot of people in my life to help expand my vision of this. I've watched Megan struggle. She's experienced a lot of bullying at school. Um, she doesn't really feel comfortable coming to church. And I think a lot of that it's because a lot of people just don't understand or they don't take the time to ask questions. So I'm pretty passionate about trying to bridge that gap. So I'm sorry, I'm going to ask a couple more questions. Um, if you had, so in the, in the writing world, if we want to, we have what's called an elevator pitch where it's like, if you had to sell your book in 90 seconds, what would you say? <laughs> so if you had a captive audience, but you know, really quick, 90 seconds, you have a teenager or somebody who is struggling with accepting, you know, somebody from the LGBTQ community or re reconciling the gospel with that. This is, and I'm not talking about the person who is experiencing LGBTQ. I'm talking about somebody who is having a hard time on the other side. On, on the, the other, other side, way. because we, and I'm going to ask you the other side too. What would you say to somebody like that? Like, how can they become more compassionate, or is is that the route you would go? That kind of thing. What would you say to that person who's just like, I just don't, I don't get it, or you know, yeah. what would you say? Yeah, that's a really common, I think, thing that happens. I would say, how much you miss if you don't don't take the opportunity to find out about a person and who they are. And when we hear someone's story and we look into their hearts and we know them, we love them. We may not understand what they feel. But we can recognize that we're all children of God and there's a place for each of us. And I believe that people that have, you know, that are LGBTQ have one of the greatest struggles because it's in direct conflict with the doctrine of the church. Mm -hmm. And they're good people. Many of them love the Lord and they want to be good and, and do what's right. And that creates a conflict. So when we know and understand kind of maybe what they're going through or ask them questions and be open-minded and know that we don't know the answers. There's so many things about this um, situation that I don't understand, but God does. And our job is to love them and accept them and make them feel like they belong. Perfect. And we Thank miss you. out if we don't do that. And what about the teen like your daughter who is feeling these things in the church and maybe doesn't feel like they can express it, what would you say to that person? That's tricky because Megan has chosen not to come to church anymore. She doesn't participate really in you know, our family scriptures, family prayer even. Yeah. Um, I would just say it's a, it's God's got them in the palm of his hand. Like, so I guess if I'm talking to my daughter, asking her about it, I just try to be always respectful of what she – is expressing to me. Mm -hmm. If she doesn't feel comfortable in a situation, I don't try to force her or make her feel guilty. We always invite and love. But, um, you know, I'm going to treat, if she grows up and marries a woman, I'm going to treat that woman just like it's much part of our family as any daughter or son in mm -hmm. I have. We will just have open, loving arms. And God's going to work out the rest. My job is, our job as parents is mm -hmm. just to love her and create a place where she feels safe and ex accepted. And I've noticed as we have kind of backed off on pushing the gospel on her, that she's much more open and participates more. Would you mm -hmm. agree, Dan? Yeah, yeah. That, and she'll even, you know, come and participate in prayer once in a while. And Cool. Yeah, but so, we try to do yeah. things that like she would feel comfortable doing as well. She, I know she believes in the Savior. I know she knows she's a child of God. It's just like the 
the organization of the church is uncomfortable to her and she doesn't feel like she has a place. And so that makes me think, well, what can I do to make sure people do feel comfortable? Like she's not the only one. I think there's a lot of young people who are struggling with this who don't know how to talk to their parents Mm -hmm. about it. Maybe their parents don't have a different perspective or, you know, it's a tricky, tricky thing. It's complicated. It's a new territory for us that we're trying to navigate and we just try to follow the spirit as closely as we can. And also I have received over and over the assurance from Heavenly Father that he's got Megan. Like, I don't need to worry about her. I just need to love her. And I think if we can have that attitude towards anyone in this kind of situation that will help them feel more welcome. That's the beauty of revelation. Like in Sunday school today, we were talking about love and light and, uh, it was this this whole aspect of how do people do this without the gospel? How do people get through life without the spirit? And uh, I mean, you said it right there. It's like, it's all about love. It's like, we have been commanded to love. We've been commanded not to judge. And this is like, these are the two things that Christians seem to, in general, in all, in all of Christianity, tend to neglect. We judge and that causes us not to love. Mm-hmm. But it's like... That's not our, you know, that's not our prerogative. It's not on us to judge. It's on us to just love. And, and I, I loved your insights on that. So thank you. I Another comment I was going to say, I think when we judge, a lot of times that happens when we don't understand. Right. It comes out of ignorance. Yeah. And and I recognize that that used to be me. And I have can think of specific things where I maybe treated a person For example, there was this woman who was a parent of one of my children's friends in elementary school, and she um, married a woman. And I was nervous to let my daughter go play at her house. And I thought, this is my friend. I knew her. I trusted her. And I look back and think, what was I thinking? Like, why would I automatically just think that maybe I couldn't trust her? Mm -hmm. And so I actually um, reached out to her recently and apologized and told her kind of that I had had you know, this experience that helped me see things more clearly. And it was a really meaningful conversation that she and I had. She appreciated me, you know, talking to her about that. And I I just told her I I really appreciated her forgiveness because I didn't understand. I was ignorant and acted on something I didn't understand. Right. And I think that's all like all of our experience, all of our experiences Mm -hmm. that we tend to go, oh, these are the values I was raised with outside of that is bad. Right. And you know, it's like, it's not quite that easy. You know, it's like, um, I, I talk about discretion and judgment. I'm like, do I want my kid going to somebody's house that smokes? I'm like, well, there's a health thing involved there and I don't uh-huh. want them being in the house where the parents are smoking. Yeah. But you know, it's like, just because I feel a certain way about a certain thing doesn't mean that that thing is inherently bad. It just means that I'm not participating in that. And right. And there's a lot I need to learn. Um, I think growing up, uh, we felt like, I felt like growing up in the church was a lot of do this, don't do that, check boxes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now it's like I've spent my entire adult life going, okay, these are the things that you know you are ignorant on because you excluded that throughout mm-hmm. your life, and yeah, you know it kept you safe true. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to educate yourself, and I think. It's like you said, it's like we're all fear comes from ignorance and, you know, ignorance comes from lack of education, lack of understanding, lack of experience. And so yeah. we just yeah. all need to get out there and experience people. Yeah. And just get to know them. Mm-hmm. And there's such beauty. I mean, 
Megan is such an amazing person. I mean, she's just as incredible as anyone else in our family and each of our children. And and I I wish that these kind of titles didn't have such a defining factor because really we're just all children of God with different challenges, all striving our best on our path back home. And if we just truly want to help each other, we'll just take the time to you know, ask questions, get to know each other, try to understand and not judge, just mm-hmm. love. It's, I feel like God's asking us to ask to, instead of the check boxes, we need to live a, a little bit higher law. Yep. And it mm-hmm. sounds easy just to love. Sometimes it's not, but that's really what he's asking us to do for everyone. Yeah. And I think the incredibly painful part for those of us who are related to somebody or, or are friends with somebody who, you know, is gay or, or something like that is there might be a period of time where they leave the church because of things that they're trying to figure out. Right. And it might not be directly related to something that we did or we said. And I would just say for me, something I'm learning is, you know, don't lose that friendship or connection just mm-hmm. because of that. I think too, just thinking of your daughter is, you know, as they're going through that journey, um, helping them at least to not lose the epicenter, which the epicenter is Jesus Christ, yep. right? Mm-hmm will miss uh, and what they bring to our church. But if they still have faith in the Savior, uh, like you said, he's he's got that. Our role is very humble and minimal. It's to support, to love. Absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, Dan, we were talking a little bit too. I, you're in Bishopric, I'm mm-hmm. in Bishopric. And uh, this is a big topic that comes up a lot is yeah. how do we make people feel included? How do we have tough conversations? I don't, I don't know how do you deal with that in, in your world? It, it is a, a difficult topic to, to approach for sure. I think that a lot of it is the ignorance that we have, like Jessica was talking about, in the ward our ward family, sometimes comments that are taken wrong, or I think a lot of it too is the fear of the person that's maybe coming back of how they're going to be accepted or how they're going to be. Uh, we recently had a, a person that came back and was talking with the bishop and and they were sharing with us, a friend of theirs was saying, what are you going to do if somebody calls you sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so? Um, it was a, because, a transgender individual. It was yeah. a transgender individual, and and they go by they them, and mm-hmm. and I don't even know. I think they're gender fluid, but at some points, but it was those kinds of things that we don't even think about can be very harmful to people that are going through those things and and dealing with that on a daily basis. And it's I just pray to have the Spirit to guide me to know what to say and how to approach things because ultimately I have no idea, <laughs> but yeah. heavenly father knows what he's doing. Fortunately for all of us and the spirit, if I can be in tune with the spirit and, mm-hmm. and say, and do what the spirit is prompting me to say and do, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And if I'm doing my best and I make a mistake, which I have, you know, you say, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it in the way that you're taking it or, or, that's, that was misunderstood, and that was my stupidity. Please don't be offended by that and and try to work through it. So, I think one thing I've tried to learn, too, just going off of what you're saying is, in, in leadership in particular, particular, is changing the baseline assumption mm-hmm. from, you know, how did this happen? And, and 
this is tragic and 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 shifting towards you know this is a miracle like how are you sitting in front of me still having a testimony mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. reconciling that with all of the things you've been through like that is incredible yeah yeah i love that perspective i actually got to meet um this um wonderful person, person that Dan was yeah. talking about. Yeah, they just really wanted to make some connections in the world. And of course, I was excited to hear their story and get to know them. And so I did take the opportunity to meet with them and hear their story. And it was just a cool experience for me to like, uh, you know, transgender is not something I really have much experience with, but I do feel a lot of compassion mm-hmm. for those people who experience that because they probably have a lot of rejection in their life, a lot of confusion. So anyway, we just had a really great talk, really great conversation. It really helped me to understand a little better and hopefully helped them mm-hmm. feel like there was, you know, a place for them that they could belong and come and feel safe. And I'm like, if you decide to come to church, come sit with me and I will introduce you to people and be your friend. And yeah. that's really all it takes. I was just yeah. curious going off of John's questions from before, because we we talked about how you address different youth maybe, but you also <laughs> talked about coming from a background of thinking black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering, coming from that history, how do you shift towards diving into what we view as maybe some muddy waters and still preserving, you know, your core faith? Mm-hmm. That That's is a big, I think, a big fear of, especially parents maybe who, um, who, when their kids come out to them, it's hard to reconcile, like, how can this fit in with the gospel plan? But um, again, I feel like it, for me, it goes into my faith in the Savior. Um, I know that He doesn't, that nothing's an accident. I know that Megan was put in our family and created the way she is for a reason. And I just have to have faith that He's going to work out all that stuff that doesn't make sense to me, that I don't understand. You know, mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. when we have discussions about it, Dan and I, we just, we just put it in the Lord's hands because we don't know. Um, I think another thing is watching the pain Megan's experience softens my heart. Like uh-huh. I have seen her struggle and I don't want other people to feel that. I don't want her to feel that. And it helps me, motivates me. Like how can I alleviate that from someone? Uh-huh. How can I help someone else not have to experience that? I think a lot of times, and I think it's just human nature, we kind of view people through in the, in the life coaching er, uh, um, arena, it's called a manual. When you have a manual for somebody, mm-hmm. it's like you should be this way, you should do that thing, you should do this, and and it's it's I think natural as humans that we automatically go to that. But when we throw that manual out for our own kids and even for ourselves, um, it can be a great source of forgiveness and and repentance and acceptance for those people because we don't know what God has in store for them. We don't know what their path looks like, and maybe they need to go through what they're going through so that they can help other people in the future. We don't know what it's going to look like. Or even help you as parents gain empathy for that particular pain. Right. Yeah, I really feel like having Megan as a daughter has taught me how to love so much better. Mm. And not that she's hard to love at all. It's just that it's opened my blinders I feel mm. like it's broadened my perspective and helped me to see so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, knowing just kind of my natural patterns of my way of thinking as a, you know, just my natural human self, that would have been a lot harder to accomplish without the experiences I've had. 
as her as my daughter. So I consider it a great blessing. And yes, there are, we've received comments and judgment mm-hmm. from people. And, and when, instead of being offended, I just think they just don't know. They yet. just don't know. Yeah. That person is still ignorant. They still, they just, and it's a bummer for them because there's yeah. so much beauty to be found. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel really grateful. And I think, I think that's a, uh, it's super important too, like as we're progressing and learning to not look down on people who might be at a different stage right now. Sure. Absolutely. Right? Because yeah. we were there. Yeah. Yeah. And we know what Definitely. that feels like. And um, I, I wanted to recommend a podcast that I really enjoyed that I think is kind of on, along this topic too. There's a lot of other podcasts that talk about it, but it's uh, Faith Matters, episode 174. They talk about faith journey and uh, something really interesting, actually, is called the Fowler Stages of Faith Development. They talk a lot about how in our faith we can progress from black and white thinking to a lot of the time in our 20s, we go through a questioning phase. And then, you know, the next phase is kind of reconciling those questions and, and areas that are still honestly nebulous to us that we mm-hmm. don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. But protecting the epicenter, like we were talking about, and yeah. and respecting the core faith, and um, I just thought that'd be helpful for some people. If I say something that sounds smart, it's probably because I stole it from somewhere else. So um, <laughs> that's my entire that's existence. That's man. what it's all about, right there. I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. well, I one last thing I just want to say about that. Um, when I was talking to Megan about the possibility of us having this conversation today, um, she said, actually, mom, I really do want you to talk about this because other people need, to, like, it may, it might help other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, she talked about, you know, things that she'd heard or listened to of people uh, sharing their experiences that really helped her. So um, I was really impressed that she had that, you know, insight to be like, yes, talk about it because she's not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed of it at all. It's just mm-hmm. something that um, a lot of people experience and we need to be able to talk about it and just experience that love and i'm actually proud to have such a diverse family i think it's a gift heavenly father has given us for sure absolutely that's a benefit to having lots of kids i know it's right <laughs> they're all so very different you learn so, so many lessons game yeah you'll yeah. get some <laughs> i'm gonna be good at at love at patience <laughs> at persistence you can pretty much name your when children you ask, when you ask for those uh, blessings of the spirit yeah. that's how they come yeah. sometimes yep. well we got into some deep waters john i think we should go to the shallow end for a little bit <laughs> shallow it up a little yeah, bit it also the standard keister uh, potty break in the middle so i'm gonna <laughs> run but what do you want to talk about okay i got a super shallow one yeah this one's let's like go. superficial and i'm gonna okay um so dan was asked if time was not an issue, how would you spend each day? And you said, I would buy vehicles, fix them up, and sell them or donate them to people in need. So I have two questions because okay. I'm not, I'm probably not a car guy on your level, but I was okay. raised by a car guy. Okay. And I have my answers to these questions. But if you were to, so one for you, one for them, if you were to restore a vehicle just for you, what would it be? And go into detail. And if you were to, to donate a vehicle, give one away, what would it be? Mm-hmm. So I'll probably get some hate for this from from the the Ford haters, but it would be a Mustang, a 68 Mustang. Like the fastback oh, with the, the fast like, back. Yeah. The vents oh, on yeah. the side. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Eleanor? Just, or was Eleanor 67? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I don't know. But that would be the dream car right there to restore from the ground up and keep it in the garage and take it out for parades and baby it. And the kids would not even breathe on it. You know, that would be, that would be the car. (laughs) Would you go stock or like modern components, Um, like modern chassis or just keep the rails 
I think I would go stock. I would just want to go original as much as I possibly could. I mean, mm-hmm. some of that stuff you just can't, or it's very hard to find. But uh, I would want to go with original as much as I could. What color? I would, I personally, I, well, with going with the original, you had limited. Right. There was, yeah, know, that's but true. I personally like dark blue colors. Mm-hmm. And so I would probably go with a, a dark blue with white stripes across the top. Yeah. You know, the racing the, stripe. Yeah. yeah. The racing stripes. Nice. So, yeah. That Hard top or convertible? Oh, wait, did they make that one in convertible? They did not. Yeah, cause I was going to say. No, they did not the fastback. Yeah. No. That's awesome. Okay. And then the donation, what would you the, do? The donation, um, you know, being in the bishopric, you, you see a lot of people that are, or hear about a lot of people that are struggling with their vehicles. They need, you know, try to find a mechanic or or whatever. And I, I just think it would be very fulfilling to just get inex- fairly inexpensive vehicles off of off of Facebook and Craigslist and and just fix them up and and donate them to those people. Donate them to the ward and say, "Here, Bishop, here's a van. Give it to somebody in the ward that mm-hmm. you need." And and or or here's a car. Or, give it to somebody that needs it, whatever. Uh, but probably would be the most versatile would be the van. Minivan. The yeah. minivan, yeah. Yeah, I like it. So. We're a van family. I Oh, my gosh. I, I was like, I will own Suburbans before I own minivans. And we did yeah. for a little while, but yeah. minivan's the best car ever made. I just want you to They're know They're so that. versatile. The, we had a Toyota Sienna for a long time. We have a, a Honda Odyssey now, which isn't as good, but I'll take mm-hmm. it because we mm-hmm. finally got a good deal on mm-hmm. it. But yeah, mi- families and minivans donating. Like that's always because I think about this. Like yeah. if I had all the money in the world, what would I do? And I think about like as a philanthropist, what would I do? And I'm like, I would love to just like, like you said, yep. go on Facebook, go on Craigslist, buy the cars that nobody wants, yep. fix them up to decent running mm-hmm. and just give them away. Just give them away. Donate them to the stake. Yeah. Say, if you know a bishop in the ward or another stake, whatever, just donate it. Yeah. I wouldn't even want to know who it went to. I'd just, right. just do it. Yeah. I think that's yeah. that's a great – I love that idea. For me, it's a 59 Corvette. 59. Those oh, are nice. Man. Those are the sweet. dual headlights. Those are sweet. I've got a whole sure. list of what I would restore. Yeah. I've always been a Corvette guy, so. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a Mustang and a, a Ford guy, and – you know, a lot of people give me a bad time about it, but my just, dad restored a. Do you know any doctors in Roseburg? Uh, no. Okay, so not, there's yeah. a member of the church, Brad Townsend. He bought. He had. He drove a Mustang in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a '65. I think is what his original. Or no, 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 no. It was the '64 and a half. Right, the original the release one. of the Mustang yeah, yeah. is the inline six, mm-hmm. no power steering. Mm-hmm. It had that like death trap steering box. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted it restored stock. So my dad took years and restored it stock. And it, it was that dark blue. Yep. Oh, man. I, I never liked Mustangs until I drove that one. Oh, they're beautiful. Beautiful. You had to know how to work on them when you owned them back then. Yeah. they were all points and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not my... my I had a 65 Chevy pickup before we converted <laughs> it over to standard cap and rotor, like mm-hmm. with all the points and the, mm-hmm. the old generator instead oh, of oh, a... Yeah. a you know, um, generator instead of what well, alternator. Alternator. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh. Yeah. Always adjusting something. Yep. Always checking. Always. Yeah. Yep. Timing was never quite right. Yep. All right. Yeah. So there, we had our little car discussion. That's good. <laughs> can we, can that. we, yeah, we need to make a name for that charity. Maybe minivan makeover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 that would be a fun one. Yeah. 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 
Dan, I now know what we're going to do in retirement. That one. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A reality TV show. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, I wanted to talk to Jessica about running a half marathon because that was that was one thing you talked about in your life that you're proud of. I wanted to know why was that important? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, okay, so that was a few years ago. That was actually during COVID. Um, I had started running. Well, a lot of things happened prior to that. I had been pretty overweight for a long time, was experiencing some health problems, had made some pretty big changes in my diet and exercise. And so I'd been working towards just exercising in general. And then I started just slowly jogging, not even like running, just walking, jogging, mixing together those two until I was able to kind of work up to a mile, a two mile, three miles. And so I just had this huge goal that I was going to run a half marathon. I knew it was going to take a long time to reach that goal. And so I started working towards it. And then I even signed up for one. And then COVID hit and everything was canceled. But, you know, when COVID started, we're all thinking it's just going to be a month or two, right? (laughs) So I decided I was just going to keep training just in case they actually still had the marathon, which was like that summer. And so I just kept training for it. And Dan would come with me on his bike and I would take or the dog. Joshua would or, run with yeah. you. Joshua started running. Yeah. Then. And it was actually such a great, and we can get into this later, but it was such a great um, mental outlet for me because it was a time when a lot of hard things were happening. The kids that we brought into our home and things. And so it was a really important stress reliever for me. So I just decided um, I was going to run a half marathon, even if the half marathon didn't happen. And so I did. I um, was really, really hard, <laughs> and I was really <laughs> slow. But I I ran thirteen point one miles on Priest Trail all the way down nice. the Valley oh, River, cool. and all the you know. <clears throat> my son Josh ran a lot, ran a lot of it with me, and my brother, who runs marathons all the time, he came down and ran slowly with me, and was <laughs> you know, it was just such a cool experience. It was. A testament to me that when we really put forth the effort, the Lord will make up the difference because I really felt his help during that. But it was a pretty awesome feeling to accomplish that. And it was just me on the trail and my brother and my son, but I'll never forget it. It was a really great experience. We invited a few people out there to the finish line and they had their masks on. We were all spaced out away from each other. <laughs> we we strung toilet paper across the finish line for her. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, awesome. It was a really cool and pretty just, emotional ending. It was it, because sure. I had no idea all those people were gonna be there at the end <clears throat> and just coming up that home stretch, being so tired and seeing all those people like cheering for me. It was it was a really special special experience. Yeah. And now I know that I can do hard things, mm-hmm. like things I didn't imagine I could do. And I actually told Josh that we're going to run a half marathon after his mission. It's going to take me a while to get back to that point because <laughs> right. I've since lost yeah. that momentum. But <clears throat> yeah, I've, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. As you were getting ready and training and things like that, did you notice changes in your body or mind? Or Definitely. Like, especially when... Um, I mean, the, you have like a schedule you follow. I know I'm sure there's many runners listening to this. When I was such an amateur, I'd never run before. Um, so I thought, how am I going to do this long run? I've never run eight miles or 10 miles, and I didn't think I could. But it's amazing how your body just adjusts. Like when you're regularly running or whatever exercise you're doing, you can do so much more than you think in your mind. It's it's very much a mental thing. So um yeah, I was always surprised that I could do it. And then afterwards, I just felt so amazing that I actually did do it. And it just taught me that 
we have so much more capacity than we allow ourselves to believe for sure. That's a lesson in and of itself. Yeah, like how often do sure. we sell ourselves short or underperform because we lack the confidence in our abilities. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, it's like any worthy endeavor, the Lord is there with us and will help us push through. And, you know, if it's a physical challenge, we'll have the mental fortitude to do it. And, Cause yeah, I mean, you run the army, you yeah. know what the human body oh, can yeah. do. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, if you, if you give the Lord a chance, he will help you through even physical challenges. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest things I learned is that slow and steady, yeah, slow, steady, yeah. consistent effort ha- has huge dividends in the end. Because, I mean, when I started, I could barely walk around my neighborhood. And then from going to that point to be able to run 13 miles was huge. And it just happened maybe in a two-year period. And so that's a long time, but really it's not actually if you're, you know, it's just a slow, consistent thing I was able to accomplish that. And I just love thinking about that with other parts of my life, that just slow and steady effort is eventually going to get you to where you're your goal is. Mm-hmm. It's such a life lesson actually about how our mind works too. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a day, like mm-hmm. check. I'm sure you would all agree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but we underestimate what we can do long-term. Right. And it, it, it's not, it, we don't have to be spectacular every day. We just have to be solid, whether it's right. in our career or our calling in our home life, like just be solid and what we can do in a long period of time is way more than we thought most of the time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And you get the law of averages in there because some days you're not going to be great yep. and that's okay. So you just pick it back up and And that's go. the, that's the, I think this came up on one of the times I was on here where it's like, I wish I could convey that to my children. You're mm-hmm. not going to be great every single day, right. but mm-hmm. yeah. did you take a step forward? Were you at least leaning right. forward? What did you learn from it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What did you learn from yeah. it? And even if you take a step back, what did you learn from it, you know? Yep. I think this segues into another topic we wanted to get into because this was an outlet. Running was an outlet, and there were a lot of things going on in your life at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, well, let's start with the dog, right? Because I think God <laughs> God told you guys that you needed a dog. Uh, yes. Why? What, what happened? Sorry. I had always been very resistant to having a dog. I think, <clears throat> you know, we had five children uh, and raising those children was wonderful and hard. And I just felt like I couldn't possibly ne- keep another thing alive. Like, it's just, right. <laughs> I, I didn't want something else to clean up after to take care of because, you know, the responsibility usually falls on mom, right? Once the excitement wears off, who's going to take the dog for a walk and pick yes. up their poop and all that kind of stuff? Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah. I agree. So, Camille listens to the podcast, so I might as well just verify that. Yeah, it's so that's true. That's the way it is. I just wasn't willing to do that. And so um, one of our kids was really struggling, and we, we were both just praying and fasting about how to help this child. And I kept having this thought, you need to get a dog. And I just brushed it aside. I was like, that is not something I'm willing to do. And so I just ignored it. And it kept coming in my mind. It was like always in my mind. And I was so annoyed. And so finally, I just realized, I think Heavenly Father is trying to answer my prayer, but I'm just not wanting to hear the answers. So one night we were driving to the temple and Dan said, I really feel like we need to get a dog. And I just like, I, I really, I think I yelled. And she said, I know, really loudly. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't want to admit it. I couldn't be the first so one she to said, say it. dang it, dang it. I love how the spirit was like, she's not listening. 
I'm gonna go to Dan. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. So he said it, and I knew. I knew that it was what we needed. Well, do. and I did it. I was very apprehensive because I knew how she felt about dogs, right. but I was feeling the same thing. Independent. We hadn't talked about it. No, not at all. And so I maybe this is a no no, but I went to Heavenly Father. I'm like, okay, if you want me to get a dog, here's my list of requirements. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, Only moms can yeah. do that. <laughs> yep. I made a very specific request list of what kind of dog was it was going to be. And I didn't want to pay for a dog. I didn't want a dog that was going to be barking all the time, that was going to be, you know, just. And I'm allergic to dogs, so it had to be. Yes, one that was yeah, so there's like mm-hmm. some serious, specific things that needed to be met. And so I just laid that before him. And pretty soon we had, um, we just, we, Long story short, we found this breeder who needed guardians for their dogs that they were breeding. And um, I went without Dan, without the kids, because we hadn't told the kids. Mm-mm. And I met this dog and instantly, it was like Heavenly Father just put this love in my heart for this dog. It was like we were meant to, yeah, yeah. she was meant to be in our yeah, family. So I came was. home until Dan, okay. I never expected this to happen. She said we're in trouble. I fell in love with this dog. And so we went over as a family to the breeder's home. And, you know, they have a pretty strict, like, application process to – and as we sat there and played with the dog, they – after at the end of the evening, they're like, we actually about 20 minutes. They said, we just feel so strongly this dog needs to be in your family. So we're just going to forego all this application. You can come get her on Wednesday. Wow. And – Evie has been the greatest blessing to our family. I had no idea how much I needed her. Um, I just, I can't imagine my life without her. And, and she's definitely her dog. <laughs> Wherever oh, she goes in the house, know. she's the shadow. Evie is right there with her. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. I just, and so Evie has become like a therapy animal for our kids, for me, for, she's just mm-hmm. like this neutralizer. She brings so much. Very sweet, calm, easygoing dog. Home and, we actually now have her puppy as well. So we have two dogs and mm-hmm. we have Evie and Hazel. And I, I I really believe now, I know that dogs have this intuition when kids are struggling. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm struggling, like they just know, they just have this way of like snuggling up by you and mm-hmm. loving you unconditionally. And having teenagers, five teenagers who don't always like us, yeah. In fact, a lot of the times they don't. Yeah. To walk in the house and be like unconditionally just loved by right. animals, yeah. it like fills me up in a way that like, okay, I really needed that. Okay, now I can tackle the, the yeah. rest. Yeah. So they really have made such an impact on our family. And they're really cute. Yeah. yeah. I tend to agree. Yeah. And I agree on the unconditional love part, especially when you start to have teenagers and yeah. Yeah. And and then when the dog's gone, you're like, what's missing right now? Something's off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just empty. never knew how much we needed yeah. them. Do you guys have a, jo- a dog, John? No. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we you got, never know what watch might happen. So I was so resistant to all animals. And I actually was cursing our cats. <laughs> we have plural cats today. I was cursing them because we have this Lionel train o-gauge train set that we put around our christmas tree and this new cat that my wife decided to kidnap from the outdoors <laughs> uh, up there at Leeburg. she found this cat kitten so we adopted it and now it's knocking over all my trains uh, and i'm like cats but we don't have it we tried the dog it lasted three days oh. it was i think it was too much of a rescue for our crazy oh, family yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it was it had it had experienced some serious trauma that mm. we were not we were looking for what you were looking for, mm. something that could love yeah. us. And this this poor animal needed lots of help, yeah, lots of love. Therapist. And, huh? and our uh, our messed up family wasn't it. <laughs> so but the cats wasn't cutting it. Cats are totally indifferent to human yeah. emotions. That's true. true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so no dogs. Yeah. Um, and then so Fast forward a little bit because okay. things start to change even more in your life. And tell us more about that. Uh, so we, I'm assuming you're talking about adopting kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the way that started was um, we've always been really involved with helping missionaries in our ward. We love to help fellowship and go to lessons and stuff. And uh, so the missionaries had knocked on this family's door. And um, this is back when they were still tracting started teaching this family and called Dan to go to the lesson. This was in the spring of 2019. Yeah. And so he started going to the lessons. It was a single mom with three young kids. And actually the mom wasn't really interested, but she wanted the kids to take the lesson. But she was a member from way back. Yeah. They discovered yeah. when they um, talked to her that she'd been mm -hmm. baptized as a youth. But mm -hmm. anyway, so he started going to the uh, lessons and then they we started taking them to church every week. And they just always wanted to come home with us. They didn't want to go home. So mm -hmm. we got permission from their mom and they spent every Sunday with us. And, you know, we could tell there were some problems, some things were really yeah. lacking. Yeah, it was, it was a sad situation. We didn't really know what was going on, but we just knew how the kids were when they were with us. They were very timid mm -hmm. and um, very hungry. A lot of, mm -hmm. you could tell there was, things were not right. So shortly after that, I was called as Relief Society president in our ward, and I was kind of thrown right in the middle of that situation and learned a little more about what was going on. And um, after a couple of months, they were put in foster care. We were not in a position to foster them at that time. Mm -hmm. It was our oldest that, daughter at home was a senior. That was in November of 2019. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we didn't have room. I was working full time and going to school and release study present. I was just so overwhelmed. And it was just like, there's no way we could take three kids. They were put in foster care and we still picked them up every week for church. They still spent Sundays with us we and were, we loved them at this Way point. over in West Eugene over by the Dana Bo Stake Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We drive over there and pick them up, bring them to church. And sometimes their foster family was yeah. bring them and drop them off. They mm -hmm. were wonderful. They're wonderful yeah. people. So about that time, do you want to tell them about the dream that you had? So I had a dream that we were in the temple and we were being sealed to these kids. That Jessica and I were across the altar from each other and they were there to be sealed to us. And that was basically the dream. It wasn't, you know, a long portion of a dream. It was just like this little vision of being in the sealing room being dressed in white and them being dressed in white, being sealed to us. And I was kind of taken back a little bit, but I, I shared that with Jessica and, and we didn't really think that that was going to happen. And well, first of all, I freaked it, out when he she, told me about yeah. it. I, I, I remember him telling me, I was like, that's impossible. Yeah. That's the craziest dream I've ever heard of. We were very far from that. Yeah. So we didn't think that that would happen at yeah. all. And do you remember you shared with me, there were a couple other parts of that dream that our house, about our house oh, yeah. and about Yeah, so we have, we have a, a very small home, um, four bedroom, but it was like 1,400 square, square feet. feet. Tiny kitchen. Just One and a half bathroom. In that dream, we had expanded our home and added more more rooms onto our home. and. And everybody uh, had their own bedroom. And everybody had their own bedroom. And 
What was it about Josh? You said that Josh that. was turning in his mission papers or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Josh was, yeah, turning so, his mission papers. Those are the things I remember about the dream that you told me. And, and you can tell I don't even remember all of the details. Yeah, and I just but, remember thinking that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. My patriarchal blessings on that specific. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't, it wasn't like I saw those things. It was like that was the knowledge the impression, that I yeah, had yeah, and yeah. that we were there at the temple. Yeah. So, so that kind of, I just put that out of my mind, I guess. And over the, the next like six months, we just, you know, we saw the kids every week and then um, they couldn't stay in that home anymore and they were trying to find a new placement for them. And this is right when COVID hit, like yeah, hot and heavy. Right. Schools were shut down. Yeah. They were trying to homeschool their three kids and three foster kids. And it was a difficult time for them. Yeah. The family they were with who are wonderful people and we're still really close to them actually. Yeah. But um, so the caseworker kept calling us because we had worked with the caseworker during the time they were removed from their home. Anyway, they kept calling us and just begging us basically to take the kids. And I was like, there is just no way. There is no way. We were actually, our whole ward council was praying about finding a placement for them. There were a lot of people involved in trying to find them a mm -hmm. home. And finally, DHS found a less than ideal situation for them. And DHS just said, we, we've got to take them. And I was like, there's no way. Yeah. And he prayed about it. And well, you can tell me your experience. Well, it was... <clears throat> we prayed about taking them and I just kept feeling like we need to do this. We need to do this. And so we, can I tell them about our decision, our final decision? Sure. So we, we got together as a family council and the kids were well aware of what was going on. Um, and we just said, you know, we feel like. You feel like. I feel like we should take the kids and, and have them be our foster kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. And. Um, we got together and said, let's pray about this individually. Let's go to our separate places and pray about this and come back together and we can talk about it and see where we go from there. And so this was in during the day. I work from home, so I, I get to have the opportunity to just kind of, you know, I be can take my lunch. I can be flexible with my time. And so this was, this was during the day at like one o'clock. We had to give them an answer like in the next 30 minutes yeah, because they were going to move the yeah, kids. Yeah, because they were going to split them up and oh. it, was, yeah. it was not a good situation. So we did that. We went to our separate places. We prayed about it and we all came back together and we're kind of looking at each other like, oh boy, here we go. And We'd so, also decided it had to be a unanimous decision because it, right. it would impact each member of the family so much that we had to be united. Because right. our daughter, oldest daughter was a senior. Well, oldest one at home. Oldest daughter at home was a senior getting ready to graduate because uh, this was in May. So we we just went around the room and said, how do you feel? What do you feel? And and Megan said, I feel like we should bring them into our family. And Josh said, I feel the same way. And Erica said, I feel the same way. And and I said, I feel the same way. And Jessica didn't feel that way at first. Well, it's not because I didn't love them. I think it was because I felt the weight of what mm -hmm. the impact it was going to have. And I had a lot of fears about being inadequate to be able to fulfill their needs because yeah. they were wonderful kids and, and they came with a lot of extra a lot of trauma. trauma. And so life. I didn't feel equipped to handle that. And we'd spent enough time around them to know that it wasn't just going to be an easy, like, yeah, come be part of our family. Right. So I felt very conflicted in my heart. I had not received an answer. And so everyone had received an answer about me. And so I felt a little like, Ganged up on. Ganged up on. And like we had to make the decision <laughs> right then. And I knew this decision would impact us maybe forever. Yeah. So. so we said, well, let's say a prayer. 
And I said, would you say the prayer to Jessica? And she's like, no. I didn't. I, I didn't want to say the prayer. <laughs> I, I really felt like a war was happening inside of my heart. Was I this did. before or after the dog? This was after, was the, after dog. the dog. Okay. Like, you think I would have learned. And, right? and yeah. Evie was there. Yeah. Evie was there by her side during this. Yeah, she knew I was So thinking. we kneeled down and I said the prayer. And um, I, you know, I don't even remember the exact words that I said during that prayer. But in the middle of the prayer, she broke down and started crying. And this is a woman who, in our 31 years of marriage, I've seen her cry maybe four times. I don't cry that often. I she don't doesn't know cry why, that often. But... And she's like sobbing uncontrollably, can't talk, sobbing. And I'm just like, in my mind, thinking, okay, we're, we don't have to take them. We don't have to take them. <laughs> because she's like, I'm out the door if we take yeah. these kids. No. So I ended the prayer, and I said that to her. And I said, we don't have to take the kids. And she's she was... Can I share what yeah, happened sure, to me? Okay, from your side. so um, during that prayer, I also don't remember what he said, but I remember feeling my heart completely change. And it's nothing I've experienced before, but like my heart went from at war and hard to just soft. And I felt Heavenly Father say, This is not about you, and it will be okay. And so um, it was, I mean, it was so direct and so clear that I just knew without a doubt. That was exactly what we needed to do. And so I was crying so hard because the spirit was so strong. I was trying to tell them what happened, but I couldn't talk. And so <laughs> and they're all like huddled yeah. around me like, oh, no, mom, it's mom and she's okay. going, no, 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 <laughs> so, it's okay. It's okay. She's cracked. She's yeah. lost it. So we, we knew right then. So that she gained was, her composure and told us that. And we just, we just kind of sat there in that moment for a while and talked about how the mm -hmm. spirit was, we all had received a witness. And we talked about how there's going to be some difficult times. You know, you're not going to bring three people into your home that have, that have trauma baggage like that and not have difficult times for them and for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we just talked about how we need to remember that moment, the way that that prayer was answered and that it's not about us. Erica, our daughter, grabbed my phone and texted the caseworker, we'll take them all. We'll take them all. I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> too late. So they moved in two days later, yeah. and um, our life has never been the same. Yeah. It's, you know, we've had many, many, many incredible challenges and many, many incredible miracles. Unbelievable miracles. Yeah. And yeah. We've, I've never questioned if it was right. Like, I, I know for sure. And but and. Last November, we were sealed in the temple. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, the adoption was finalized, and the next day we went to the temple. All our kids were there, and our grown kids. And, and before that, in August, we started expanding our home to add more oh, yeah. room to our home. Yeah. And, and a lot of miracles happened. So that each kid has their own so now, room. Yeah, each kid has their own room, and Josh yeah. is starting his mission papers. I was going to say, is Josh in January? January. In January. Yeah. January. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, so, so crazy to me how the Lord like prepared us. But we didn't believe that. I didn't believe, I guess. I just didn't have the faith or the forethought to realize that he can make things happen in our lives that we have no idea are coming. And when we feel inadequate, inadequate, he he really makes up the difference. Yeah. Cause and that, that answer that she got, it's not about you, and other answers to prayers about expanding our home and how that would all work have, were so solid and so vivid that many times during the process of of building our home and having the kids there, everything, I've had to refer back to that. It's not about you. No, we got this answer. 
<clears throat> we got this answer. This is what we're supposed to do. We're moving forward with it because there's a lot of times that I kind of doubted myself and I'd say, nope, reassure myself. This is what we're supposed to be doing and we move forward from there. But yeah. Crazy ride. It's been. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm sure people, listeners will want to know how the kids are doing. Oh, yeah. So when we, when we, they first came to our home, they were nine, 10, and 11. No, 10, 11, and 12. Mm -hmm. um, when we first met them, they were nine, 10, 11. And now they are um, 13, 13, 15, and 16, 14. almost 14, 15, and 16. And 17. Oh. So we have five kids at home within four and a half years of each other. Yeah. The way they fit in. Yeah. So 17, 15, and four, yeah. Okay. So they're doing awesome. Um, there have been so many, it's incredible to see them now and how much they've yeah. changed. And they're just so talented and smart and amazing. And they have, um, they're involved in so many things. Um, yeah. Angelica's a varsity cheerleader. Um, Leandro does track and cross country and plays the saxophone. Mm -hmm. And they get, he gets good grades. Mm -hmm. And Sasha does dance and soccer. And uh, they're just amazing kids. Amazing kids. Yeah. And they've had opportunities to try things that they would have never had the opportunity to try. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to watch them blossom. Angelica plays the piano as well. And it's just fun to watch them blossom and do those things. That's cool. I think it's uh, about time to wrap here, actually. I, I, we didn't get to everything okay. we wanted to, but you know, we, we've got our... Uh, Christmas devotional to get to, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't want to hold you guys up, but I wanted to share one thing actually is we usually don't bring couples on to the show. We usually interview people individually and mm -hmm. just had a feeling like invite the walkers to come together, um, not knowing you guys personally very well. And it was like, to me, it's just confirming like, yeah, this is, this is exactly how this episode was supposed to happen. So... Well, thanks for well, having thank us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. It's fun to share. And I'd love to have you guys back at some point if you can come Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Yeah, there's plenty more. We, we can, can do part two. Yeah. <laughs> We've yeah. had a lot. I mean, it's been a roller coaster of a ride this last few years. A lot of things that we weren't able to talk about, but just yeah. our faith has grown so much as we've had this experience for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll look we'll look forward to that part two at some point with the walkers. And John, thank you for coming on again. Yeah. Appreciate it. Any last minute things you wanted to touch on or get into? No, I can't wait for part two because I wanted to talk to Dan about his army experience. And oh, it's sort yeah. of like, because like, I don't know if we have five minutes. We, you know, it's like as a missionary, we go out and our, our testimony is tied to our work. Mm -hmm. But you went on a mission and then went into the military. Right. And you were single when you went into the military. Mm -hmm. So you had that mm -hmm. testimony trial living on your own, not focused solely on the work. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how that worked out for you. Like, what was your experience going into the military and maintaining, you know, you, you, honoring your yeah. priesthood, basically? Yeah. Well, and it's tough to do. Um, when I was in basic training, there was one other guy in the entire unit that was also a return missionary. Um, and when you go in the military as an endowed member, there's special garments that you can wear that are military colors. And and so we we wore those. But in Germany... Um, I was stationed in Germany, and, and in my unit, I was the only member of the church. We had a small branch in the battalion that I was in there. And, of course, you, you think of Germany as a young person, and it's drinking. Yeah, and right. um, that was most of the guys in my unit. And, and you know, it was, it was really tough living in the barracks around that kind of stuff and still trying to uh, live the church standards. And 
you just had i just had to to find and maintain that support structure with people and and some of them were officers which officer and enlisted aren't really supposed to to uh hang out together and and do stuff together but with the gospel you know it makes it a little bit different but uh yeah it was it was not an easy time it was not an easy time i'll bet yeah but I'd also told him if he didn't marry in the temp- me in the temple, I would not marry him. And maybe that, that was a good. That's a good motivator. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good motivator right there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I just had to trust he was doing yeah. what he needed to, and it all worked out. Yeah, yeah. thirty-one years later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. here we are. That's cool. All right. Yeah, well, good. Well, thank you again for coming on, guys, and thank you for being listeners to the podcast too. Absolutely, I think, uh, we love I'd it. Talk Absolutely. to Josh and some of your kids too. Listen, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you do awesome. Yeah, and thank you for sharing with uh, other people too. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So let's let's end the show then with the uh, the same question we always do. Um, we'll ask both of you guys. Right? How has mm-hmm. being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints helped you to better connect with the Savior? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first? Sure. So, <clears throat> like I said before, uh, I'm I'm kind of slow, and that includes in the gospel. And slow meaning gaining a testimony and acting on that that testimony. But I always knew that God loved me. I always knew that the Savior loved me, and you know that it has made me who I am today. And a lot of times people will say, you know, if I didn't have the church, I would be a totally different person. And I can say that is absolutely true for me, you know, that and my wife, because I think she was a special plant in my life to try to help me uh, become a better person. And so I I just owe everything that I am and everything that I have to the Savior. And I'm so grateful for His relationship with me and the opportunities that He has given me to serve in the kingdom. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, for me— um I was raised in the church, and then when I was a teenager, my parents left the church, so I had a unique opportunity to kind of learn and gain my own testimony as a young adult, a young teenager. And that decision that I made to remain strong in the gospel has really blessed my life so, so much. Um, I can't imagine where I would be without the gospel. Um, One of my one of the things I'm most grateful for about the church is the opportunity it gives us to learn to be like this Hebrew through serving. And the opportunities I've had to serve and the different callings that I've had are just serving my family as a mother and a wife. I feel like it's helped me understand more how the Savior, how to be like the Savior. Um, and the experiences we shared about, um, you know, following promptings and doing hard things that we're asked to do. Um, I just really have a strong testimony that the Lord sees more in us than we see in ourselves. And that when he asks us to do something and we're willing, he will for sure make up the difference. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just so grateful for my membership in the church because it's given me that relationship with the Savior and that trust that I have in him, that even when things are hard, I can do it with his help. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Connection Podcast. And thank you, everybody, for being listeners to our show. I know I said this before, but we couldn't do this without you. As I mentioned in previous episodes, we are going to take a little break over December just to regroup and get ready for the new year for the Connection Podcast. A lot of you have filled out our survey and we will be sending out scheduling information for you pretty soon. And then a little teaser for you, too. Coming up early next year, we are going to be re-interviewing our first interviewee of all time, Dave Glass. So really looking forward to bringing Dave back. Until next time we connect, guys, 
Take care of yourselves. Have a wonderful Christmas, a happy new year. And thank you for being listening.